Welcome back. Thanks for joining me and Collins for another episode of the Leaders Who Love What They Do podcast. For those who don't know me, I'm the founder of Blue Bottle Coaching and I work with senior leaders across a range of countries and industries to accelerate their leadership career by helping them to search out and address their blind spots, to rethink and transform their leadership style to reach their biggest career goals. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Hans van Rijn to the Leaders Who Love What They Do podcast. Hans and I first met 20 years ago, which we're both still in shock about, in Kathmandu, and it's a real pleasure to catch up after all this time. So Hans is a public finance and public administration specialist with close to 25 years of work experience, mostly in countries across Asia and the Pacific. Since 2007, he has worked with the Asian Development Bank and he's currently with the East Asia Department, where he focuses on strengthening public financial management. He's a very experienced project manager and team leader. He's been co-leading several major Asian Development Bank financed COVID-19 emergency operations in Mongolia since the start of the pandemic in 2020. So welcome, Hans. Welcome and thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, you have a wonderful title, Hans, Public Sector Management Specialist. Could you tell us firstly, very briefly, what that means in very practical terms? Sure. Well, it means different things to different people, because obviously the management of the public sector, the management of, of, of government's affairs is rather broad and can include human resource management, organizational issues, finance issues. And I specialize on, on the financial side of things. So most of the projects that I've been involved with the last 20, 25 years have been focused on introducing ways to modernize or improve the way a government manages its financial affairs. Okay, and that's uh, that's so interesting, and uh, and as you say, you've been you've been doing it for a long time, and I know that you've you've been to so many countries. The list uh, the list is very long, and uh, and I would really like to know what or who has inspired you and continues to inspire you to follow this line of work that has taken you and your family all over the world. I think my my sort of fascination with Asia started through food rather mundanely <laughs> when I was uh, when I was a very young kid I grew up with a lot of Indonesian food which I really loved and the love for Indonesian food triggered my interest in the country so the interest in Asia started really with an interest in in Indonesia and then at university I studied at the, the faculty of public and Pol political science and public administration and one of the courses that I followed there was called development administration which was really on public administration, but completely focused on the developing world, Asia, Africa, Latin America. And I thought that that was really fascinating. And that's how I sort of rolled into the work that I'm doing right now. And in addition, of course, the, the fascination with, with Asia in particular is, is the people that you work with, obviously. For me, I have always been completely fascinated by the music from this part of the world. So there are, very, there are various facets as to what fascinates me in in the work that I'm doing and uh, and you mentioned the people the people you work with are, th are there any in particular that stand out who've who've inspired you to to keep going because I'm sure it's not it's not always easy no well I I'm one of these incredibly lucky persons who happened to work with a first boss who was who was an absolute genius she was a, a Scottish woman called Irene Wilson and when I was still very young, we met and she, for whatever reason, decided that uh, she thought I was talented and she was interested in me. So she took, me she took me under her wing for a couple of years. And 
most of what I've learned today, not, not just in terms of, you know, the, the technicalities of the work, but also in terms of work ethics, in terms of your communication with your clients, I've learned from, from her. She has been absolutely invaluable, invaluable for, for the way that, that I developed as a professional. And that's interesting because we, we talked about this just a little bit yesterday and, and you mentioned that now you're, you're very keen also to, to help those coming behind you, as it were. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think you know, the way, and I guess that's a, that's a personality trait. I've never been somebody who has sort of carefully planned or strategized a career. The way I, I've sort of rolled from job to job just because I happen to to meet interesting people at the at, at the right moment. So now now that I'm sort of a little bit on on the other side, a little bit older, whenever I have the opportunity to work or to to help young young persons who I think are talented and who have the right mentality for the work, I'm more than happy to do that. I like doing that. And that includes also engage, interaction with students, for example. Whenever there's whenever there's an opportunity to do a guest lecture or a presentation. At, at the university in the region, I, I love doing that. And when and when you do that, when you do that, I, I, I can tell from your voice that uh, it's something that brings a lot of pleasure for you. What what do you gain from from that as well? Well, it's always it's I, it's always nice to interact with with young people who are passionate about what they want to do. And I think a big advantage of the sort of the line of the line of work that that I am in is that a lot of people do it because they are really passionate about it. It's not the sort of job that you can do on an automatic pilot. Of course, there are people who, who do it on automatic pilot, but <laughs> most of the people are quite passionate about, about the work that they are doing. And that's, that makes it quite pleasant to work with them. Yes, yes, and and I can I can see that you yourself you you are really passionate about it. And to, about that, can you tell us about some of the personal highlights you've had, and when you've worked in different in different places, workwise or socially or both? Both. Both. Well, I think the first time after university, so I started working with a Dutch consulting company, and that was with that Scottish woman that I mentioned earlier. And it was with her that I started traveling to Asia for the first time. And to be physically in Asia for the first time, for me, that was, that was Vietnam. That was amazing. I, I decided, I think, 10 minutes after landing in, landing in Vietnam that I, would, that I was ready to leave the Netherlands and move to, to this part of the world. Another highlight for me, both personally and, and professionally, was the time in, in Nepal, that was also one of those places. I still remember that I arrived there on a Saturday afternoon and being Dutch, the first thing that I did was I bought a bicycle. <laughs> and Sunday, Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, I went to, to, to Durbar Square, you know, one of the, the, the beautiful squares in, in Kathmandu and in, uh, yes. and in Patan. And I was sitting there watching the sunrise and watching that square come to life and knowing immediately that I would love that country. And now we are 20 years later, and I not only do I love the country, I even got married to a woman from that country. So yes. personally, personally, there are very strong ties with Nepal. And work-wise, I also really enjoyed it. Most of my work in Nepal was focused on working with, with local governments, and that is something that I really, really enjoy. I, I enjoy working with local governments more than working with central ministries, simply because at the local level, there is a much more, much directer link between what you try to improve in terms of, of 
financial management and the the quality and and, uh, and quantity of uh, services that these local governments are able to deliver to their people. Mm, so that absolutely. was that was yeah. Sorry. Yes. No. Sorry. I was just agreeing with you there. Yes. Absolutely. And coming and moving on from that, actually, in the same direction, working across different cultures is 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 certainly something that has been part of part of your working life, is part of your daily life. What would you say are the advantages of that, and what have been the challenges? Well, I think the challenges are mostly of a of a practical nature. You know, when you move when you move to a new house. You, you, when you move to a new country, sorry, how do you found a new house? How do you pay the bills? How do you deal with the bureaucracy in the country? How do you get your kids in a good school? But th- these are all just practical issues and relatively easy to deal with. The advantages, I think, are that by definition, if you work in a multicultural setting, you work with people who, whose view of the world and whose approach of uh, a, project, a project that you try to get off the ground, by definition, will be different from yours. And that in itself is a very creative setting to work in. So for me, the big advantages of working in in a multicultural setting is that I find that it triggers a lot of creativity. I think that's that's amazing, and uh, I think that many people I think would would see that that's a problem that people see the world differently. So I I love the way that you have you have reframed that to to really see it as a as a positive thing, and you're able to harness that and actually be creative on a very practical level. How do you do that? What are the what are the skills that you have developed in order to harness that confusion and and turn it into something creative? I, I think, let, let me try to answer that from the perspective of a, of a project manager, right? I think what I always try to do when I, when I compose project teams, or when I establish project teams, is that you need to have not only the right balance of the different skills that you require for a specific project, but also the, the, the right balance of the personality traits that people bring um, to the table. So, for example, I know from myself that I am I'm creative. I'm I think I like to think that I'm a that I'm a good people's manager. Where I am not very good is in dealing with, say, the bureaucratic and the administrative aspects of the organizations that we work with. So, I always make sure that I have somebody in the project team who's very strong at that. Who, who might not be the most creative person, but who keeps everything on the rails because he or she really understands how the bureaucracy functions. So again, finding, playing, playing people to their strengths and finding the right balance in terms of the skills and knowledge that people bring to the table, but also in terms of the personality traits that they bring to the table is, is in my opinion, crucial for a well-functioning project team. Mm. So, in fact, what uh, what it seems to me that you're doing, if I've understood correctly, is that you've you've also looked at your own. You know yourself very well. You know wh- where the gaps are that you need, and and in fact, you're just you're not recruiting into your team carbon copies of yourself. You're actively looking for people who can fill those gaps and create a rounded team. Absolutely, I think one one of the things that you that you learn just by becoming more experienced is you become much more aware of your own strengths and weaknesses. And I, I know that I'm quite good at some things, then I'm a little bit good at a lot of other things. And there are also things where I'm just bad. So that's where I need support. Yes. And, uh, and I think if, if you're coming to it with, uh, with that approach, I'm assuming also that the rest of your team are then given permission to also say, well, I can do this, but I'm not so good on, on this. Could you give me some, some support? Yes. Yes, absolutely. 
I think the, for me, the sort of an, an ideal working atmosphere is where the communication is completely informal, but where at the same time, everybody is aware of his or her responsibilities. I'm just saying his or her. I think the gender balance in a project team also is, is very important, not, not out of ideological considerations, but just because I think and I have experienced that if you have the right gender balance in a project team, the team just works better. Okay, and uh, and I'm sure that you'd agree with me that along alongside all of that, that communication is really the key to success. And how do you help your team and your colleagues to develop those key skills, especially when they're working across cultural differences, possibly at the moment, also virtually even? How do you help them develop those communication skills? I think it's partly something that you're born with, right? Some people are comfortable uh, communicating. Some people are comfortable also to address, you know, publicly in a, in a university or in a big on a big meeting, and other people are not so comfortable with them. So again, also in a, in a, in a project team, I make I try to make a distinction between the internal communication within the team and assigning people to to communicate with clients. And obviously, if I know that somebody is naturally introverted and not comfortable with speaking at a big meeting in the Ministry of Finance, I will not ask that person to do it. I will do it myself or I will will assign it to somebody who is a confident speaker. So you're playing people to their strengths, in fact. That is what I always try to do, yes. And of course, the better, like I'm now with with the ADB for more than 10 years, so your network in that organization has grown and you know more people. So it, it becomes easier to pick to pick the right people for the right project. Yeah, and playing people to their strengths is absolutely essential. Yes. Yeah, yeah, great. And, and I'd just like to come back to something we just touched on about uh, being creative, because I imagine that a lot of your work involves finding creative solutions with the people you work with, both within and outside of your organization. And mm. what would you say are the most important keys to success when trying to be innovative and creative in your job? Ooh, that's a big question. Well, I think a sort of a precondition for that is that you have a, a communication culture that is open, right? Where people are not afraid to, to propose something that at face value might sound outrageous, but after thinking about it for half an hour actually makes a lot of sense. So an open, an open communication culture is, is an absolute precondition for innovative ideas to, to service. And then coming back to what we were discussing a little bit earlier, the fact that you have people from different cultural backgrounds around the table in itself already triggers creativity, I think. As you say, your your approach is to take any confusion and turn that into creativity. And so by by playing people to their strengths, you're giving them the confidence as well to perhaps experiment and uh, discuss things that may be a little bit out of the box. Yeah, and I, I like to do that when I, when I start with a new project team and we have sort of a rough idea of what it is that the project needs to do. One of the things that I like to do to, to, to kickstart the work is just lock people up for three or four hours in a room with a big whiteboard and a lot of, a lot of little cards and let people just brainstorm about how they see and perceive the project. I find that that is 
quite uh, a good way to start a project. At a certain moment, of course, you need to also put your pen on paper and you need to start with actually designing. And when and when your projects are up and running and mm. and you run into issues or problems, which is inevitable, how do you how do you deal with with how with failures or what people might perceive as failures? How do you deal with that? It depends, I guess, on the nature of the failure. Like you say, with any project, it's in- inevitable that things will go wrong. Uh, and things can go wrong for a million reasons. I always like to think, and this sounds like a cliche, but I, if we don't make mistakes, we never learn, right? The best thing about making mistakes, unless you're very thick, <laughs> is that you learn from it. I think that if, if a, a client or a beneficiary of your project thinks that the, that the project has failed or that, that big mistakes were made in the project, my approach to that is to always sit down with that person and discuss what he perceives went wrong. Because in many cases, I find that mistakes or perceived mis- mistakes are actually the result of just misunderstanding or, or, or confusion around, the, around what it was that the, that the project tried to do. So the worst thing that you can do is become defensive and, and go in sort of denial mode. Now, how dare you say that I made a mistake? No, my approach is always to sit down with with somebody and say, "Okay, tell me what do you think? What do you think went wrong, and why it went wrong?" And then let's see how we can solve it. Yeah, great. So that's I think that's uh, you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head there. That uh, finally it comes down to connection, doesn't it? It's personal connection and making sure that that communication is uh, is crystal clear for people. Yeah, and you know, people are people. So maybe maybe your counterpart in the Ministry of Finance has gone through a bad day and is just in a bad mood and yeah. is cranky. And you know, it can it, there there can be so many reasons why somebody might have might have an issue with something that you've done. It's always interesting to find out what's behind it. Yes, because you know, at the end of the day, we we bring all of ourselves to work, not just our work, our work hats. We bring every other part of us as well. And I think that when we first of all accept that for ourselves, but also appreciate that everyone else is also bringing whatever things are going on for them in their lives, it actually becomes quite a lot easier. I agree, but in the end, of course, if 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 mistakes are made, then you need to rectify it. That's it. Also. And uh, finally, we're, we're already around to the last question. It's gone very quickly. And uh, do you have a top tip to, to leaders across lots of different sectors, not just in development, but uh, I know it's a broad, a broad question, but do you have a top tip for us? Well, I think what, what we discussed just a couple of minutes ago, the, the, my top tip would be for a project manager to always try and play people to their strengths, because in that way, the, the team as a whole will produce the best results and people will also enjoy the work that they're doing the most. Great. Oh, that's that's fabulous advice. Thank you, Hans. And I know that there will be people who want to contact you, Hans. What's the best way for them to do that? I know you have a profile on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn is definitely one way. And also my, my personal email address you can find on on LinkedIn. And I'm also on Facebook, so that's another option. Ah, okay, great. Well, I'll make sure that all of that is on the show notes for people, and yeah. and any other any other information that uh, you want to put on there will will of course add. Well, thank you so much, Hans. It's been fascinating to hear about you and your mission, and in particular the way that you you support new people coming into your profession. Thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please hop over to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, subscribe. 
subscribe and share. So if you're an executive or a senior leader looking to progress in your career and transform what you do, do join the Love to Lead community where you can find information about our program, events and resources. For more details, go to today's show notes. So thanks again, Hans, for joining us. My pleasure, Anne. So this is Anne Collins. Thanks so much for joining us and for listening and do join me again soon to meet another inspiring leader who loves what they do. Goodbye.